Good morning, good day, and good night. You may have stumbled upon this podcast randomly as you browse around a graveyard full of ghouls, driving on an endless road with your killer laying in the back seat, waiting for the right opportunity to slit your throat. Or, you know, just by personal interest. However, what you may not know is what you're about to hear are extremely sinister stories. This show contains all depths of horror that lurks around our society. Kidnapping, torture, murder, you name it. Whether it's down a dark alley or from the pitch black closet in a bedroom. If it's the paranormal that haunts our surroundings, or demonic possession that needs to be cleansed, a flying saucer that hovers over our helpless world. These files are for one's understanding, but listener discretion, you are warned. If you wish to be part of the cult, <clears throat> well, not a cult, but family, <laughs> hit the five star in Apple Podcasts and subscribe to wherever you are listening. Now that you are brave enough, are you ready to open these cryptic files? Hey guys, are you surviving out there? I tell you what, there is crime all around my ass and I just can't keep up with it all. Crazy times, my goodness. You know, this podcast is special to me. If you know me personally, you know I am a horror fanatic and the genre has always been on my my to-go-to, you know. Whether it's film, books, podcasts, all the above. But this isn't my only podcast. This one isn't even the first one I started. Once again, if you know me, then you know I have another podcast that has been going on for over a year now, and I host it with one of my best friends, Hunter Stevers. Our show is called Unhelpful Advice. Yes, unhelpful. It is themed around society and culture, and we give opinions and advice, most of the time terrible advice, on the bizarre world we live in. So, if this show is heavy for you sometimes and you need a, a, a comical break, please check out Unhelpful Advice. You will always get a good laugh each episode. Uh, also, Hunter has a sports podcast called Raw Dog Sports and Gambling that you sports fans should check out. He's the biggest sports nerd I know, so you won't be disappointed. He knows his stuff, guys. That being said... Let's get dark. So, there has been a switching gears for my episode schedule due to multiple requests. This case and the brand new, uh, I don't know, evidence or claims just came out. I'll be telling you about Gina Hall and the tragic story that took place here in Virginia. I believe it was episode four. I branched over Gina Hall's story and you know what? I shouldn't have done that. This is too much of an important story not to tell you all. I did my research online, but 
Ron Peterson Jr.'s book, Under the Trestle, was such a good source. Now, let's take it back to the 80s. I mentioned the city of Radford before in episode 4 with the Louisa Cutting case, so I won't describe it too much for this one. Let's get to the one who's most important, Gina Renee Hall. Gina was 18 years old. She had graduated from Coburn High School in 1979 and was voted most popular. She was known for her hometown for having positive energy and a smile that would enlighten everyone who was around her. She was never in trouble and always obeyed her family. She stuck to female athletics such as golf, tennis, and gymnastics. She was a team player and was always a favorite. Gina stayed active outside of school by teaching children gymnastics as well as tap dancing. On Sundays, she would partake in Bible study and taught Sunday school classes. She seemed perfect, right? It sure sounds like it to me. She was a fantastic human being. But from my research, she had a little bit of a struggle growing up, starting when she was two years old. When she was a small child, she brushed against a burner on a gas stove, which ultimately ignited her clothes on fire. She received third-degree burns on the right side of her body. She actually was in a life-threatening condition but she graciously pulled through, but would have to have multiple surgeries. This led to lifelong scarring and made Gina self-conscious about herself. It would cause her to think twice on an intimate relationship. She had a younger brother she adored and an older sister named Delana, who was her best friend. Gina attended Emory and Henry College, but would later decide to transfer to Radford University. With the motivation from her sister and Radford's nursing program, Gina couldn't pass up the opportunity. While attending Radford University, Gina became close with friends with six girls and all would go dancing during their free time. Gina loved to dance. With the school known for being a party school, Gina stayed conservative. On the night of June 28, 1980, Gina would go to the Blacksburg Marriott which was close to Virginia Tech, and celebrate from her long week of exams. With failing to persuade her sister into coming with her, Gina went out alone. This was the night she met Stephen Epperly, and was never seen again. Stephen Epperly was a 28-year-old man who had an appearance of great admiration. Stephen looked younger than his actual age, and his built figure impressed many. He was a former Virginia Tech football player and was raised in Radford. 
His father often took him hunting, which made Stephen fall in love with the outdoors. Growing up, he was known for being, quote, a high-energy boy and could sometimes be a handful. With this energy, he used it for sports, track, and football. He was, by all means, a jock. Additionally, he was known for having a temper and, quote, had a screw loose. There were accounts that he would hit his younger sister, either punching or slapping her. He then would take his anger out on his mother. Police would visit the Epperly home. During his Virginia Tech career, he would take part-time jobs as a bouncer in a few Blacksburg bars and was known to be overly aggressive with customers. Stephen was arrested on April 22, 1976 for a sexual assault slash rape charge for attacking his girlfriend in her apartment. There was yet another sexual assault charge made four months later when he forced himself on a woman in his apartment. According to reports, the female blacked out during the rape and he freaked out after what he had done, begging her not to go to the police. Unfortunately, the verdict found him not guilty. In the spring of 1978, Stephen graduated college. He moved to Richmond but would struggle with jobs. He attempted to pursue a real estate career but fell short and returned back to Radford University as a maintenance worker. This failed life was taking a toll on Stephen, and on the night of June 28th, he hoped to get lucky when going out to the Marriott. Stephen went with his friend Bill King in hopes to find women to drink and sleep with. Bill's parents owned a lake house on Claytor Lake and would often invite Stephen over. And that night, Bill's asked to keep a watch on the house while his parents went on vacation. The two friends stopped by at the lake to pick up a vehicle. They made their way to Blacksburg. They arrived at the club around 11 p.m. and joined Bill's other friends. Gina arrived around the same time. The club was popping with the DJ going hard with the music. People with drinks were everywhere. Gina and Stephen made eye contact. Stephen was eager to ask Gina to dance with him on the floor. His friends were shocked because Stephen was not known for dancing. After being on the dance floor for several songs, Stephen later asked Gina to go with him to the lake house. Stephen persuaded Bill to give him the key to the house, and they left in Gina's car. There is speculation to why Gina approved this. Was she thinking a large group was going to go as well, or was she forced? This is what gets me. That was the important transition of the night. Why did she go with him? With her conservative personality? I'm just confused. This is where it gets dark, guys. Very creepy. Gina's sister, Delana, received a phone call late in the night, around 1 a.m. She answered the call, and it was Gina. Let me read you what was said. Quote, Hello? Delana? Gina? Yeah. Where are you? I'm out at the lake. Well, what are you doing out at the lake? I'm looking at it. Who are you looking at it with? Steve. Please hurry home. According to Delana, 
Gina's voice was uneasy and not like her. That she seemed nervous. It was 4 a.m. and Bill King along with a female arrived at the lake house. They noticed Gina's vehicle was still there. As they entered the house, King shouted to see if Stephen and Gina were there. Stephen acknowledged he was there but told them him and Gina had to leave. Bill and the female were getting ready to swim in the pool as Bill stepped in a wet substance, but where it was so dark, he assumed it was nothing. After his time with the female, he had gone to bed and Stephen had been gone. It was early morning Sunday and the Pulaski County Deputy Sheriff William Patton discovered Gina's vehicle on Hazel Hollow Road. He thought nothing of it but returned during lunchtime and noticed that it still remained there. He reported to see if it was stolen, and it wasn't. He never checked the vehicle inside. Delana was worried sick with the whole day and began to call Gina's friends to see if they had saw her, but no one had. Soon, though, a group of them began to search for her. It was then nightfall, and Delana called the Radford Police Department. They told her, It had to be 24 hours before they could consider a missing persons report. In my opinion, I hate that. And she even called the Virginia State Police for assistance. Mr. Hall, Gina and Delana's father, arrived to Radford Monday morning. Delana was determined to even go to the popular radio station K92 to give out a missing persons report. Around noon, police realized that the vehicle on Hazel Hollow Road was indeed Gina's. Officer Austin Hall was set as lead officer for the investigation. He found blood in the trunk of the vehicle as well as a head of hair and pubic hair. He said, quote, This is foul play. This may be a homicide. They were sent to Clater Lake and began to knock on doors, but unfortunately, with many of these homes being considered only for vacation, there wasn't many people there. The idea of someone dropping Gina's body in the New River was brought up. They called in scuba divers to search in the water, but they continued to search on the ground as well. Officer Hall requested to get a sample of Gina's hair from a curler in her apartment. Delana obliged. It was July 1st, and Bill King discovered the news on the K92 radio station in the early morning. It is said, quote, The Radford Police Department is searching for a missing person, 18-year-old Gina Renee Hall, who was last seen about midnight Saturday at the Blacksburg Marriott Lounge. Hall is a female, approximately 5 foot tall and 105 pounds, with brown eyes and medium-length brown hair. She was wearing white pants, a purple jumpsuit, purple shoes, and a white jacket. If you have seen her or have any information about Gina Hall's whereabouts, please contact the Radford Police Department at 540-639-2300. Bill King then knew he would be involved. Bill met up with Stephen and was surprised that Stephen told him he hadn't heard anything. Bill told him to contact the police. Stephen dumbfounded Bill with asking, Who all knows that I was with her? After that, Stephen called the police. Stephen met with Officer Austin Hall. Hall asked him to start from the beginning. How did he know her? Stephen told Officer Hall they met at the club and agreed to go to the lake house with him. Then she immediately wanted to contact her sister. He swam while 
she didn't want to. Stephen then told Hall that Gina wanted to leave because she had a friend coming to visit from home in Colburn and would be at the apartment early morning. Stephen then said they drove to his parents' house and he gave her directions to go back to her apartment. After the discussion, Officer Hall and Stephen went to the lake house. Realizing nobody was there, Hall asked Stephen if he would take a polygraph test. Stephen said, Sure, I have nothing to hide. Days leading up to the polygraph, they gathered information on Stephen's past, family violence, and the sexual assault charges. Police interviewed Bill King, and he told them he never saw Gina at the lake house. Bill agreed to let the police search the lake house. They discovered Gina's ankle bracelet with a broken clasp. They saw the blood stain that Bill stepped in and used a swab to contain some of it. There were blood stains outside, on the concrete driveway, the garage door, the wooden deck, the second floor bathroom, a light switch on the spiral staircase. This led them to find the utility room, which had various items with blood on them. Legs of the chair, a dustpan, a pair of shoes, a water pitcher, and a pickaxe. They then found pubic hair. Should I say more? When Stephen did the polygraph test, he was asked many questions. Did you harm Gina Hall? Did you kill Gina Hall? Do you know the current whereabouts of Gina Hall? After the test, the results came back in, and he failed with flying colors. Austin Hall told him to face to face later that night after coming back to the station. We know you killed her. Twelve days had gone by, and they still did not find Gina. They were getting eager to find new ways to help with the finding, and Pulaski County Commonwealth Attorney Everett Shockley was given the idea of using a tracking dog. They hired the dog Harass the Second for $22,000. The police went over to Stephen's home and asked his mother for a dirty pair of underwear. They took the underwear and harassed the second to Hazel Hollow Road. Harass smelled the underwear and began to track. The dog found Gina's abandoned vehicle. The dog then traveled all the way to their suspect's home. After that, they took the dog to the lake house and he sniffed the underwear once more. It tracked around the same areas they suspected and he found the used blue towel that Stephen used that night with Gina. Finally, the next day, the dog sniffed the used towel at the police station and tracked all the way to an office. They opened the door and Stephen Epperly was being interviewed. They told Stephen the reason why the dog was there and the only thing Stephen said was, that's a damn good dog. That's a damn good dog. It was now June 25th. There was an award if someone discovered Gina for $10,000. Stephen moved around to Roanoke, then to Ohio. Late July, Officer Hall was called to the police station to be told they found clothing that matched Gina's outfit. A purple jumpsuit, white pants, and a white blazer jacket. The horrific thing was, though, they were covered in bloodstains. Then came August, and the decision to whether or not to convict Stephen was tricky. There was still no body. But finally, with much thought and risk, Commonwealth Attorney 
moved forward with an indictment for Stephen Epperly for first-degree murder. Stephen's lawyer suggested him to return back to Virginia, and he did. September 9th, he was arrested in Roanoke. Stephen had two defense attorneys. Their names were Lookabill and Warburton. They look into a story that could be linked to benefit Epperly. A man was found shot dead near Clater Lake the same weekend of the disappearance of Gina, but it ultimately failed in court. There was no connection. It was a grand jury indictment. Officer Austin Hall presented the evidence. The trial lasted seven days, with people coming to the stand, including Delana Hall. They discussed the last time she spoke to Gina, which was over the phone. She said Gina's voice was uneasy and just was not like her. In the end, Stephen Epperly was convicted by the Virginia jury for first-degree murder of Gina Hall. He received a life sentence. Unfortunately, during this time, Gina's body was never found, and Stephen Epperly never confessed to the killing. Does this story end here? No. No, it does not. Hey guys, that will do it for part one of the Gina Hall story. Yes, this one was a very unique case as it was Virginia's first ever nobody's murder trial. As I just said earlier, the story does not end. The search for Gina's body went cold for years until the early 2000s as a certain someone not necessarily reopens the case, but Uh, goes undercover with it. And guess who gets to interview them? Your boy. So, in part two, you will discover what happens in the undercover investigation, which will take this story even more uh, ups and downs, let's just say that, through, shall I say, bizarre situations. I hope you liked this one, guys. It was very interesting learning about another local case. And be sure to support the show by subscribing to Apple Podcasts and hitting that five-star review. Follow the show on Spotify and to wherever you listen. Spread the word. It helps the show out so much. Thank you all for listening. And, you know, lastly, watch your back. It is cryptic out there.
my brain. 